Hi, everyone, and welcome to the AI Innovators Podcast. I'm Rob May. I am the CEO at Nova and a very active angel investor in the AI space. This podcast interviews people that are working on interesting technologies, solutions, products, problems, ecosystem things, whatever, whatever we can find in the AI area that we think you'd like to know more about. My guest today is Jay Newton-Small from MemoryWell. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Rob, thanks so much for having me on. So I want to jump in and talk about a, a pivotal moment in, in MemoryWell that'll set the stage for the rest of our conversation. You mentioned before we started recording here that MemoryWell has been around since 2017 and sort of had one product, which sort of known for and set the DNA of the company, but that a lot of your growth is coming from a product that's just a little more than a year old, which is a little more maybe AI-centric, able to benefit from some of these technology advances and everything else. So can you set the stage for us about like what was going on in the company around that time and sort of how you, you, you know, what was product MemoryWell 1.0? How did you come up with the idea for sort of 2.0? And tell us a little bit about that transition. Sure. So MemoryWell really started in, in 2017 and we were a storytelling company. My, my DNA, my background's in journalism, and we were telling the life stories of seniors entering care. And then most of our clients were sort of nursing homes and assisted living communities. And then COVID hit, and those were really just the front lines of the pandemic. And it was just impossible to get any kind of bandwidth from frontline staff and to pay attention to the stories, to help the residents tell their stories, to do anything at all. And so we kind of saw all of our business evaporate overnight, and we kind of said, oh, gosh, what do we do? And is there a place for journalism in healthcare and like the sort of talents of journalism and what, what we do? And we spent uh, probably three or four months, um, just doing tons, like probably over 200 industry interviews. There are three or four of us doing interviews, just asking experts in the space, like, here's what we do. Here's what our, we're good at. Like, where do you think we fit in this space? And the where we landed was this idea of engaging seniors, which we got really good at sort of reaching seniors, engaging them, understanding how to talk to them, who just signed up for Medicare Advantage plans. And so if you know anything about Medicare Advantage, there's seen a ton of growth in the last 10 years. It went from being just over 500 plans and sort of the backwater of Medicare, the Medicare Part C, to being one of the largest parts of Medicare with over 6,000 plans now. And when you sign up in Florida alone, there's 128 plans and just a ton of competition for those seniors. And so there's a ton of churn in the system, and that's a $59 billion problem by 2028. And everyone's looking for how to make your, your customers more loyal, how to make them stick to your plans, how do they how do you they get them to resist those commercials with Joe Namath and Tom Selleck and Captain Kirk who are on TV, you know, in the beginning of every year trying to lure those guys into switching. And since we had this really great track record of reaching and talking to and sort of understanding seniors, that was something that was really appealing to the companies, like to Medicare Advantage plans that we were, you know, thinking about approaching. And so kind of in concert with one of the top three payers in the country, we started to develop and rethink their onboarding systems and how they were talking to their new members. And we originally thought that we would do the interviews ourselves, but they were like, ha ha, we have like almost 50 million members and you have a thousand writers and that's really cute. But we, we really want is the software that you're developing. And we want to be able to train, retrain our call centers to basically think more like journalists and have you guide those interviews. And, you know, there's sort of three onboarding interviews that are classically done for a new member. One is like a welcome call. One is a health risk assessment. And the third, which is a new mandate from CMS is a social determinants of health assessment. And so we really took a journalistic lens to all of those surveys and all of those onboarding calls 
and basically move them away from scripts and guided by our software, enabled them to have open-ended conversations that were much more approachable and enjoyable by their own members and hooked them into their benefits better, explained their, their benefits better. And studies show that if you can get them hooked into at least two benefits in the first 30 days, they're 80% less likely to churn. And then also while still collecting the data that they needed collecting from those calls. And so that new company is called Plan Allies, I should say. <laughs> I see. And so just to make sure that I understand this, with the Plan Allies tool, you are sort of like a, an agent whispering in the ear of people that are talking in real time to, to patients, or this is fully automated? No, we're like a virtual assistant in the ear, like in on the screen in front of a caller. And so right now, what happens when, when you have calls, most of those calls that Medicare Advantage plans have with their members are scripted calls. And so they, they write these scripts and the calls, they train their call center folks on how to read the scripts, and then they really can't diverge from those scripts. And it's honestly kind of a miserable process for everybody involved. And what we've done is sort of take off the scripts, like sort of throw away the scripts completely, and then just reimagined how they would have a conversation, still have a conversation around the same ideas and the same information they needed to collect the same kinds of questions, but really think through how do you ask this in a different way. And so, for example, on a social determinants of health survey, a classic question is, are you food insecure, which is like a terrible question that really nobody understands how to answer. Now, Our software will instead prompt the caller to say, hey, tell me about your favorite family recipes or your favorite holiday traditions. And what are your barriers to doing those right now? So we've just really thought through how do we ask these questions in a way that's much more approachable and genders an open-ended conversation and response. And then as they're answering, the software has built into it all of their benefits. And so there's an active AI listening component that we're building into it to get to the AI point. So if they, you know, for example, let's say they say like, I normally we have turkey at Thanksgiving, but this year we, we just can't afford it. So we got like a ham instead or something. The, the person on the call would answer a multiple choice question that says this person's food insecure, but the AI might then prompt them and say, hey, like a box would pop up and say, hey, did you know that they have a subsidized in-home food delivery benefit? Are they interested in this benefit? Yes or no? Do you want to tell them about it? So that way, they're like the person on the caller in the, in the conversation has a series of prompts that they're always looking at and different ways in which the conversation can go. And then even as they're going through the conversation, the conversation might change and like depending on what the person is saying and they might go down and figure out oh they're food insecure let's get them hooked up to a benefit let's talk them through what's going on before we go on to the next section kind of thing okay yeah that makes a lot of sense now walk me back to the early days of memory well you have a very non-traditional sort of background for somebody that's coming into not just do a startup but particularly a healthcare startup which i feel like is a really hard space so to sort of just understand all the different economic flows and user workflows and, and everything else did you have any relevant sort of healthcare experience before did you just dive in and then and then what was it like to try to you know raise money coming from sort of like a, a journalism and storytelling background did you find that the storytelling piece really helped you engage with the venture capital community or sort of maybe your lack of experience working in like deep tech, maybe a barrier? Okay. There's a lot of questions there. Let me see if I can remember them. <laughs> um, so yeah, memory well started from my experience caregiving for my dad who had Alzheimer's. And I was, as you, as you know, it was a journalist. I had backgrounds, not at all in healthcare. I was four years at Bloomberg News covering the Bush White House and politics, and then 10 years at Time Magazine covering everything from the Obama White House to the Arab Spring. So my relevant 
healthcare experience before this was really covering policy in healthcare. So I covered the passage of Medicare Part D, which is prescription drugs. I covered the passage of the Affordable Care Act, or you know, some people call it Obamacare. So I've had a lot of experience covering the political side of these debates, but certainly this was all new for me covering, you know, sort of not covering it, but actually living it in, in the startup world. And really my, what prompted me to do it is I, I my, put my dad into care and, and um, they asked me to fill out this enormous 20 page questionnaire about his life. And I was sitting there struggling to write down the answers to these questions, thinking, A, I was a writer and even I couldn't answer some of those questions well, like describe your parents 40 plus year marriage in four lines, which is like writing haiku, especially for a magazine writer. Um, And B, I didn't have like a lot of faith that anyone would read and remember 20 pages of like handwritten data points for the sort of hundred residents in that community. And so I said, instead, I just wrote down a one page story about his life and really plastered the community with it because I wanted them to get to know him. And it really did transform his care. The staff remembered it. They told each other about it. Two of his caregivers were Ethiopian and they'd had no idea that my dad had lived in Ethiopia for more than four years early on in his career with the United Nations. And they would sit with him for hours and ask him what it was like to work with Emperor Haile Selassie and what the Empress was like. And dad still remembered Africa from his early 20s at that point, even if he didn't remember like last week or last month or last year. So that was the initial sort of impetus. And, and it grew really organically. Like people would see the stories around the communities and they would ask for stories themselves. There was ultimately a data component to those stories. People, you know, we, we realized pretty early on that we were collecting a ton of social determinants of health data, a lot of data about social isolation and depression especially as we expanded out the stories from just, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia patients to more of a general older population. But as I said earlier, like COVID hit and everything just came to a grinding halt. And that was not the end of that business. I would say 20% of our income still comes from story-based solutions. And there is an AI component to that one too, but we envisioned software being our main revenue driver moving forward. Yeah. So when you and I first started chatting in the uh, Argon Venture Slack, which just, you know, sidebar for those guys, you know, we talked about it beforehand. Our, the, our, the Argon team is just fantastic. Awesome investors could not be happy with them. They're, they're in Nova and in, in memory well. So definitely give them a plug. But when we were chatting, you, you mentioned that you guys were looking at ChatGPT and had some really good use cases for it. And talk about how ChatGPT came out. You guys started playing around with it. What, what did you discover and what did you, how do you see it applying to Plan Allies or memory well? Yeah. So for right now, I would say, there isn't that much of an application for Plan Allies only because Plan Allies is almost all voice recognition and it takes active listening and, and ChatGPT is all sort of text-based for the moment. Now, I think we're really excited about the potential of the future when it, and when it makes that leap to, to voice and active listening. And I think that'll be super cool and we definitely would use it. For the stories, you know, we, we do two different kinds of stories now. One kind is mostly hospice and palliative stories, which are natural sort of inflection moments for seniors, mostly seniors who are looking at the, the sort of end of life and thinking about their legacies a lot. And we're listed as a VBID hospice benefit for a Medicare Advantage plan, a really innovative one called Scan Plans out in California. And that work's been really cool. We can't currently use ChatGPT for those stories because they're protected by HIPAA and we can't put personal health information into ChatGPT quite yet. Now there's uh, applications that we've seen come out from Microsoft, which are using PHI with this. And so there seems to be some version of this that does work with PHI. 
We've been trying to hunt our way through the Microsoft universe and trying to figure out like, where is that application? We're in Microsoft for startups. We're like talking to folks there, but we're just trying to figure out where to land there to, to be able to use that application. We've tried the other ones as well, like Bing and all that, as well as, you know, the Bard and, and, but so far what we've seen is, is, is really the Microsoft version is, is the, the best one yet. That may change. We'll see. What we can do is, is, is some of the physician stories where we have the ability to, we, we usually do still de-identify the stories before we put them through chat GPT just to be on the safe side, but where we have the ability and own the data ourselves, we can go ahead and try that. And it's really sort of streamlined our process. Now, I will say that like it's not like a magic wand that's going to produce a, a beautiful story for you right off the bat. Because these stories are biographies, you can't insert any falseness into them. You can't insert any lies into them. And so you have to, like the chat GPT that we use has what they call temperature control from like one to five. And so zero or zero to five. And so zero is like, you know, nothing is embellished. You just, they just take whatever information is there in the transcript and then they will sort of regurgitate back to you whatever you ask it to regurgitate back, like a, you know, timeline or like a summary or whatever it wants. But if you start to increase the temperature, it starts to really increase the amount of lies and embellishment. It also gets more sort of flourishing and writerly and interesting, but this is a live story and we're not, we don't want to insert this sort of falsehoods into it. So it's really kind of amusing. It kind of takes the story from being like, this is Debbie. She's a dental hygienist, mother of three. She loves dogs and the Red Sox too. This is Debbie, you know, who used her incredible powers of hygienic dentistry to save Barack Obama's life in this really death-defying, insane, high-flying, you know, dramatic thing. And, and it's just, and of course, like they might, it might've been that she had volunteered for the Obama campaign in 07 or something. And that's why they put Obama in there. But it's not at all true, but it, it it does make the process incredibly quicker for us because the sort of streamlined summary that we get of what can be a very long transcript, sometimes it can be anywhere from, you know, 3000 to 8,000 words is much more workable for an editor to just sort of put together and draw out a story rather than having to go through that long transcript. Yeah. As you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking about the parallels maybe between Chat GPT and that that Seinfeld episode where Jay Peterman buys all of Kramer's life stories for his book. So, um, kind of, yeah, yeah, probably exactly. some of our older listeners will remember that one. But yeah, that's it's interesting. I I sort of hadn't thought about that embellishment aspect, but it's yeah, it's definitely something interesting to think about for the these these kinds of use cases that need and require no embellishment. You know, so let's step away from Chat GPT and talk a little bit about the you know it, generally what kinds of technology are you working with? You know, any any key platform or tools that you that you use that we should know about and and then you know any other AI and, and and how broadly does AI play into like like what's your vision for what this could become and and how do you see AI fitting into that yeah we have a phenomenal CTO who could probably answer that question way better than I could but um, his name is Fran Nagarstan and most of the most of our platforms built on Python and he's custom built it over the last six years we view this as like kind of a two-step process we have this software to help us like you know plan allies and in some to some degree ChatGPT with memory well and the algorithms that we're building that like you know training ChatGPT to, to think certain ways about life stories 
like that is one sort of set of things that we're doing. But another set is this idea of using natural layering in natural language processing screens to because we record all of our interviews, whether they're life stories or whether they're interviews for plan allies and being able to do all kinds of cool analyses on those is really the next step for us. And so we're building a pool of really great voice recordings that are very rich in tone and intentionality, much richer than anything you would get from a scripted call. And so being able to sort of run those through different kinds of screens for NLP has been really interesting. So for example, there's really interesting NLP thing being done by a professor out of the University of Vermont, where she analyzes the pauses in between words, in addition to what they're actually saying. And the pauses, I think, for seniors, honestly, are almost more telling than what they're actually saying. And so down the road, we'd love to be able to really build a, a great data analytics business out of this, where we can start to have insight into some of the key problems in healthcare that have been really tough nuts to crack. So for example, things like loneliness and isolation and depression among seniors, it was a pandemic before the pandemic existed. It's been even worse and more exacerbated by the pandemic. And it's really hard just from scraping public data about these folks to understand how isolated they are. You know, some people could live in a house with like 10 people and still feel super isolated. Others could live alone and have feel really fulfilled from their very robust online Zoom life. And so being able to kind of get insight into how isolated they are is a very valuable data set to a lot of the payers that we're working with. Another data set they don't have a lot of visibility into is how unhappy are they, like how likely are they to churn. So starting to build those analyses and, and sell back those insights is sort of the next step for us. Cool. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the, the podcast here. So I'm always curious, is, is there anything that you wish somebody else would build that you guys aren't working on that would make it easier to build uh, plan allies and, and memory well? Oh, so many things. <laughs> like, we're just at the beginning of a universe of graph databases. And I, I just wish that there was like a magic wand that you could kind of like advance that technology by like five years. And we would like, it would be just be perfect for us. And I mean, it's still great now compared to SQL, but like it's or non-SQL or whatever, whichever one you use. But I just feel like database searching is is something that needs needs huge disruption and the, the whole sort of tagging and untagging and and you know raw data versus like structured data. Like I just feel like you know there's so much data out there in the world. And we just don't have yet the right ways of screening it, putting lenses through it. And I think that that, that would be incredible if we could do that. Cool. So we're, we're, we're getting to sort of the end of our time. And I like to wrap up by just asking people a more personal question, which is what's one piece of life advice that you've read or you've been taught by a mentor or something you learned along the way in your career that you'd really like to share with everyone who's listening? That's a great question. I would say early on, everyone said to me when I started this company that it was going to be a ton of work. And I kind of laughed at that because I'd covered presidential campaigns and wars and, you know, and that was an insane amount of work. But every every presidency has uh, an end and, and there's other people who you can kind of rotate out and every you know, war, you can kind of leave it or we have the luxury of leaving it since we're not living, you know, through it. And uh, as correspondence, and I, I don't think I appreciated how much of a marathon this is. And it took me like a good two or three years before I took a vacation. <laughs> and like by the time I did, I was like so fried. And now I think I've tried really hard to to just pace myself. And I think I learned also early on that 
writing it sort of built into my schedule periods of time, like two or three hours a day where I was forced to take a step back and be introspective and really think about things. And when I no longer had that built into my schedule, that kind of increased my my rate of being fried out. And so I, I really try now to limit the amount of sort of Zooms and calls I do to like maybe five hours a day so that I can still have time to write and think through and like, and, and answer emails and like do other stuff like that and pace myself on those things, knowing that I, you know, one, one is more taxing for me than the other and the other I find restorative and, and fun. And also just pace myself in life and and take a hike with my dogs. I try to do it at least a few times a week and, or like go to the gym and go for a run and really get out there and not, and not just work, work, work all the time. Yeah, that's actually great feedback for particularly for entrepreneurs. And I I concur, I'm on my fourth startup, and I still struggle with it because there's always so much to do. And I I tell people that a big part of becoming CEO of a startup is you can never do everything because people, you you know, you can always take one more customer call or pitch one more investor or spend one more hour looking at stuff. So like, you just have to set boundaries and and kind of do the best you can. And you have to learn to like, you know, let some things go, which is pretty challenging. Anyway, Jay, fascinating conversation. Thank you for filling us in on what you guys do and how you guys use AI. If anyone listening wants to check out MemoryWell, the website is memorywell.com. Jay, thanks for being on the podcast today. Oh, thanks. And I would also mention Plan Allies. The website is planallies.com. Thank you.